man, it's so glad, uh, I'm so glad to be back uh, today. I um, missed you last week, but you were in great hands. Pastor Matt did such a great job. Uh, let's just celebrate him and just thank Jesus for, for Pastor Matt. And I'm telling you, um, such a great communicator, such a great leader, but man, it, more than that, he's just a godly man that loves Jesus. And one of the things I always say about Pastor Matt, is so true, you know, y'all don't get to see him as, as much as, as we do. Uh, but what y'all see on stage when he's here uh, every few months is what we get to see in the office every single day. The man just loves Jesus and loves people and is the real deal, and I'm grateful for him and his friendship. And um, so I'm going to piggyback off of his sermon from last week. Uh, grab your Bibles, Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to be, Philippians chapter 1. And um, uh, we're in this series called To Live as Christ, and, and today is going to be kind of part two to what we started last week. All of these, these sermons will, will build on one another as we work through the text, but what we looked at last week was the gospel passion that the Apostle Paul lived with. I mean, this was a man who, like, he was obsessed with Jesus' glory. He was obsessed with the advancement of the gospel no matter what. And, like, this was a guy that no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the cost was, he was going to make sure that Christ is glorified and that the gospel is preached no matter what. And, and here's what's, what's crazy. When you read these texts that we're walking through, I mean, in some ways, they're kind of comical, like just how obsessed Paul was. Like, like Paul is saying, basically, look, you want to beat me and whip me? Well, then great. I'm going to show people that Jesus is worthy of suffering for you're going to put me in prison? All right, I'm just going to lead everybody in prison to Christ. That'll, that'll work. I just have a church right here in jail. Uh, you want to put me to death? Great. I get to go be with Jesus, which is much greater than being with you. I mean, this guy literally lived with such a passion that he was untouchable. No matter what, Jesus was going to get his attention, affection, and glory. That was what he was obsessed with. And I think this is important that we, we see this. And this morning, I really want us to dive in and see that not only that, that did Paul embrace suffering for Christ with joy for the glory of Christ and the advancement of the gospel, but, but Paul rejoiced in it. Like he found joy in suffering, which is crazy counterintuitive to what we normally respond, how we normally respond uh, to suffering. Let me show you this. Philippians chapter one, I want to read verse 18. This will be the bridge between last week's sermon and this week's sermon. If you're there, say the Bible is true. Philippians chapter one, verse 18. What then? So Paul is coming to a, a turn here He's in the previous verses last week, you saw that he saw that his imprisonment advanced the gospel. He saw that some people preached the gospel with courage because of his imprisonment. Some people did it with great motives. Awesome, Jesus is being preached. Some people did it with false motive. Paul says, awesome, Jesus is being preached. I don't care. All that matters is Jesus being preached. This is what he says. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul didn't care the circumstances. It didn't matter to him. The only thing that mattered to Paul was Christ is being proclaimed, and this led him to rejoice. Now, the next phrase is a repeat of this, this other phrase that transitions us into the text that we're going to be in today. So Paul ends that statement by saying, and in that, I rejoice. And then he says, yes, I will rejoice. And if, if you're thinking this is redundant, it's not. Paul is, is kind of double downing on this, this, this statement of rejoicing in the midst of these circumstances for, for emphasis, for the sake of us understanding how focused he is. When he says, in that I rejoice, and yes, I will rejoice, the, the, the language shifts here just a bit. Uh, yes, and I will rejoice could be translated literally, and in that I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. I will continue to rejoice. No matter what, I will continue to rejoice. That's the point that he's making. So, so why is that so important? Paul lived with such a radical perspective in life that in this phrase here, he's saying, not only am I gonna rejoice in the current situations, I don't know what my future is. I could live, I could die, I could be beaten, I could be left in prison, I could be set free, I could go plant churches, or I could die as a martyr right here. It doesn't matter to me. Here's what I do know is that no matter what it is, I will rejoice and I will continue to rejoice no matter what. So check this out. Paul was uncertain of his future. He didn't know what was gonna happen, but he knew how he was gonna respond to it when it did. Now that's a radical perspective in life. 
that, that Paul is living with a perspective that is, that is not just optimism. It's not just the power of positive thinking. That's how we try to shift our perspective, right? Pastor Matt and I did something this week. We Googled, which is always dangerous, right? I, we Googled this question, how can I change my perspective? Just to see what would come up. If you ever want to know what the kind of popular thoughts are, like Google something, whatever pops up, that's what everybody else is thinking or saying about a certain uh, subject. It doesn't mean that it's right. Uh, it just means that's kind of the popular thought. So we Googled, uh, how do I change my perspective? And all these articles and these, you know, these little tips came up. And they were all just kind of, I'm being honest, just kind of dumb. Like one of them was like, if you want to change your perspective, you need to think differently. <laughs> well, thanks, Captain Obvious. That, that doesn't help, right? Uh, another one said this, you, you, what you need to do, if you want to change your perspective, you need to to, to look at your life through somebody else's perspective. I'm like, but that's not helpful either because that's their perspective and not mine and I can only do that for so long and then eventually I'm just gonna be like, okay, I gotta think what I think, right? But one of them said, if you wanna change your perspective, go work out. <laughs> no, thank you. My favorite one was this, if you wanna change your perspective, take a nap. Now, I think that's truth right there. <laughs> that's true. But, but here's what's amazing. Every single one of the articles or advices, the advice that was given was all about me-centric. You need to do this. You need to change this. You need to think this way. You need to have this kind of power of positive thinking. And if you'll just be positive, then your, your perspective in life will change. And the, and the reality is if we live long enough, you recognize it doesn't matter how positive I try to be. There are times where the reality of where I am is gonna be, gonna be more difficult than me just having the ability to think better thoughts, right? And what we see in the Apostle Paul in this moment is, is this is not the power of positive thinking. This is a, listen to this, a supernatural perspective that is imparted to him. It's not coming from inside of him by his own nature or his own flesh. This is a perspective that comes from Jesus himself. Like Paul, everything that Paul is doing is is opposite of what the flesh wants. We want to sulk in our suffering. We want to complain in our, our issues that we face. We want to get discouraged or be in despair. We don't want to rejoice. But Paul is saying, it doesn't matter what comes my way. This is my outlook on life. This is my perspective. I will rejoice in Christ. I will advance the gospel. I will give glory to Jesus. And there's nothing that's going to get in my way. This is not a man who's just trying to see life with the glass half empty, half full rather. This is a man whose life is, is experiencing a supernatural perspective that can only come from Jesus himself. And here's what I want you to see. Eyes right here just for a second. This is, this is critical. Listen to this. And the supernatural strength and power that Paul is walking in to have this kind of perspective is available to every single one of us if we're followers of Jesus. And we've got to see this. That what we're seeing in the life of Paul that is so radical and is so foreign to how many of us live, even though it's foreign and it's radical to us, it doesn't mean that it's not available to us. See, often we read the Bible and we'll look at Paul's words here and we go, man, I could never live with that perspective. I could never think like that. I could never see life like that. And so what we do is we treat the apostle Paul like he's some super Christian. Like he's got access to God in ways that we don't have access to God. And listen, we've got to recognize that Paul is not a super Christian. He is just a man in love with Jesus who walks in the power of the Holy Spirit and believes that Jesus will do for him what Jesus says he'll do. And every man and woman in this place who is a follower of Jesus can walk with the same power and the same authority and the same supernatural perspective as the Apostle Paul. It's at your disposal. You've got to choose to walk in it. And we're going to see that this morning. So where does this come from? Where does this power, uh, this supernatural perspective that shapes Paul's, um, supernatural power that shapes Paul's perspective come from? Look at verse 19. Verse 19, Paul gives us the answer. It's very short, very clear. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the, uh, of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So Paul does something here. This first phrase is, is critical. He says, and I know that through the prayers of the church, your prayers, and the, 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 the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul is recognizing that this, this perspective is a supernatural work of Jesus. And this supernatural work of Jesus is 
produced in his life in two ways. Write this down if you're taking notes. Where does spiritual perspective come from? Where does this passion for the gospel that Paul lives with come from? Write this down if you're taking notes. The first thing that Paul mentions is this. It's the prayers of the church. The prayers of the church. Paul is recognizing, listen to this, through your prayers. Paul understood that the prayers of the church were powerful and were at work in his life. He knew that his faith and his ability to endure under the circumstances and through the suffering that he's facing, he knew that he would be empowered supernaturally because of the prayers of the church. And let me put it to you literally. Paul is in essence saying this, I know that I will continue to rejoice and I will endure through sufferings because I know you're praying for me. Church, we've got to recognize something this morning. We've got to recognize that there is a mystery to prayer that we don't quite understand. Would you agree with that? Man, there's a mystery to prayer that we don't understand. Like, but prayer is powerful. And it is effective and it, and it transforms us and it, and it does something in us that we cannot experience apart from it. You see, the mystery of prayer is profound, but God has designed the Christian life to be lived out by his power and his strength and his power and strength alone. And this power and strength that God wants us to live the Christian life by, listen, it is, it is given to us through prayer. It is experienced through prayer. You see, the reason that most of us live our life without spiritual victory is because we don't understand the power of prayer and what it produces in our life. And Paul, Paul got this. He, he, he understood this. He says, through your prayers, I know I will have the strength that I need to endure, and I will continue to run this race with courage and with confidence. Why? Because I know that you're on your knees interceding for me. Church, hear me say this. There is something powerful that happens when the people of God pray for other people of God. There's something supernatural that happens. God does things in our life that he will not do apart from prayer. And this is what Paul is acknowledging here in this passage, that God's plan for the Christian life is his power and his presence, but his power and presence is at work in us through prayer, through our own personal prayer life and through the prayer of the church. I love how um, Tony Marita and Francis Chan say this in one of their commentaries. Listen to this. They say the omnipresence of God isn't synonymous with the effects and influences of the Spirit. You say, what in the world does that mean? Let me, let me break this down for you. The omnipresence of God, this means that God is in all places at all times. Everybody say amen to that. All right, God is everywhere at all times. But that isn't synonymous. It isn't the same thing with the effects and influences of the Spirit. This, this last phrase, this effects and influences of the Spirit, is what this last year we've been calling the manifest presence of God. You see, God is at all places and all times, and then there are times when God shows up in very real and tangible ways. When God, so you, we would be in church services where you go, well, God is here, and then there are church services where you're like, no, God is here, like he's in the room. Like he's doing something that is powerful in the moment. So while God is always present, there are times when God reveals his presence in very powerful way. It affects us and it influences us. Does that make sense? Now, this is what he says. The omnipresence of God isn't synonymous with the effects and influences of the Spirit. While we can't presume on these influences even when we pray. In other words, we can't make the assumption that just because I pray, fire is going to fall from heaven. That God's going to show up in a cloud or he's going to perform a miracle. We can't, we can't say that just because we pray, he's going to move in this way. But listen to this. But we know that prayer is the normal means that God uses to provide abundant help to the believer. Let me just summarize it like this. God is everywhere. But God being everywhere isn't the same as him moving in power in our life. And we can't make the assumption that every time we pray, he's gonna show up with miracles. But what we can be confident in is that God has chosen prayer to be the vehicle that his power gets delivered into our life. And I, I truly, I was thinking about this. Most of this sermon I wrote on an airplane coming back and forth from a vacation trip uh, with the family, and so I was laughing at my, it was terrible grammar. My Arkansas education was really coming out on the plane. Um, but this thought hit me last night as we were traveling home. And this is thus says Todd, this is not thus says the Lord. But I think we underestimate the power of prayer in our life. And, and there, are, there are times where prayer is at work in our life, we don't even know it. 
And I'm convinced that if we were able to step back and to see our, our life and all of that God was doing in our life, I, I feel like that we probably recognize that most of the spiritual victories that we have had in our life is the result of someone somewhere on their knees pleading to God on our behalf. That there was someone somewhere, maybe it was the early quiet moments of the morning when God just, the spirit just stirred in their heart and said, hey, you need to pray for this person and they were obedient. Or maybe it was those wake up calls at three in the morning. Everybody have those, the Lord just wakes you up and puts someone on your mind and you can't shake it and you know, I need to start praying for them. Anybody ever experienced that? Like, how do, how do we know that in those moments that, 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 that Holy Spirit waking us up or that prompting us to pray for someone isn't God saying, hey, listen, there's a victory needed over here, and so I've got to have a prayer warrior over here. And it was our wake-up calls at 3 a.m. that actually God used to fuel and give power to the person going through whatever struggle it was that actually gave them the victory. Listen, I believe that in eternity we're going to see that there was so much more going on because of prayer than we can see right now. Prayer is powerful. And Paul says, listen, this is, I know, I know that I'm going to endure, and I know that I'm going to get through this. Why? Because I know you're praying for me, and I know that prayer is powerful and it works. Here's number two. Um, So it's the power, the uh, prayer of the church, and the second is the presence of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit. I love this. These two go together. This is why he says, through your prayers, and listen to this, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So these go hand in hand. Paul is saying to us, in this text, he says he's recognizing that this life of joy, this confidence that I have in the midst of suffering, it is not produced by my flesh. It is a divine work of the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life because the church is praying for me. Is that as we pray, as we petition to God for ourselves and for others, the Holy Spirit then begins to work in our lives and in the life of others. And Paul is recognizing that what you see in me is a byproduct of of these prayers and the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. Listen to what one commentator says about this. Paul is suggesting that the presence of the Spirit will be supplied to Paul through the prayers of the Philippians. In some mysterious way, those prayers are linked with God's furnishing of the Spirit to him, and together they provide the help he needs. This is so good. Is that the activity of the Holy Spirit in our life, the power that he gives us, is linked together to the prayers that we pray and the prayers that are prayed for us. This is what Paul says gives me the strength supernaturally to live the way that I'm living. I love how Paul does this. Notice that Paul says, go back to verse Uh, Number 20, or verse 19, rather. Verse 19, Paul says this. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. Watch this. Paul, is. this is the Holy Spirit. When Paul says the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. So the question is, why does he refer to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus Christ? Because we have the third part of the Trinity, which is the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Why does he call the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Jesus Christ? It's because of this. Paul is helping us understand that when the Holy Spirit is in us and working in our lives, the presence of Jesus is with us as well. So when Jesus says to us in Matthew chapter 28, hey, go make disciples, and by the way, I'm with you always to the end of the age. How is Jesus with us always to the end of the age? The Holy Spirit is in us. So when the Holy Spirit is in us, Jesus Christ is with us as well. And this is what he says he does. He says, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The help. Now, I want to talk about this word help because this word help is the idea of assistance or provision. That's the word means. It means literally, if we translate it, the furnishing of the Holy Spirit. The completing of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I think it's important because when we think of help, oftentimes when we think of help of the Holy Spirit, we pray and we go, Holy Spirit, I need your help. I need you to move in my life. And here's what we think he does. Okay, Holy Spirit, I need courage. And so the Holy Spirit is up there somewhere going, let me give you a little courage. Holy Spirit, I need some patience. Here's a little patience. I'll help you. And I know that you're discouraged right now. Let me, let me help you with, I'll give you a little bit of encouragement. And oftentimes when we think of the Holy Spirit, we think of the help of the Holy Spirit as if he's just dispensing all of these various things to us and we treat him at times like he's this vending machine. Like we're praying and going, okay, I need S2. Oh, okay, I, I, no, I need courage. That, that's not courage, that, that's confidence. Okay, I need, I need S4 is what I need, right? 
This is how oftentimes we approach the Holy Spirit as if he's just gonna impart. When he says, through the furnishing of the Spirit of Jesus, he is not talking about the stuff the Holy Spirit gives us. He's talking about the Holy Spirit himself. This is the furnishing. This is the help that God gives us the Holy Spirit, that he is our help. He's not just dispensing help to us. He comes in very real in our life, fills us, and he is with us, which means, listen, when you have the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need. So the Holy Spirit is my courage. The Holy Spirit is my comfort. The Holy Spirit is my confidence. The Holy Spirit is what, what, what uh, allows me to be patient because it's him. He is patient and he is at work in me. It's not what he gives. It's himself that he gives. This is so important. This is why Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the comforter and as he calls him the helper. It's his presence in us that provides the furnishing, the help that we need. So as we walk in the Holy Spirit, whatever the circumstances of life we're facing, we have everything we need. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit. This is so critical to our journey with Christ, recognizing that he is there to be an ever-present help in our time of need, that when we live with the filling of the Holy Spirit, it transforms our perspective because we recognize that in the Holy Spirit, I can endure everything that I go through because I have everything I need in him to make it through it. And this is why so many of us, listen, we, we try to live the Christian life white-knuckling our way through it. And this is why so many of us live in a perpetual cycle of failure. Like, you know what I'm talking about, white knuckle. Like, you're just, like, hanging on for dear life. Like, I've got to do better. I've got to be a better father. I've got to be a better husband. I've got to be a better mother. I've got to be a better wife. I've got to be a better student. I've got to uh, think differently, and I've got to try harder, and I've got to avoid those things, and I've got to try not to say those words. And our whole life is I, 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 and we fail miserably because what Jesus is saying to us, listen, I don't need I, I, I. I need you to die, die, die. Because when you die, I live. When you stop with you, then it can start with me. And when it starts with me, I can do far more on my own than you can ever do on your own. And so this is why Paul says in Galatians chapter two, verse 20, he says, for I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And now the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. What is Paul saying? The secret to the Christian life isn't white knuckling ourselves to some sort of better version of us, it is dying to ourselves that the Spirit might live and reign inside of us, then it's him living his life through us. Christian life was never about you living for Jesus. It was about Jesus living through you. This is what gave Paul the courage and the confidence that he's walking with here in this passage. Now listen, this produces, this life in the Spirit, this prayers of the church, this, this life of the presence of the Spirit in our life, it produces something in us. And listen, this I really believe this last little part of this sermon can be transformational for many of us in this room. Many of us are not living on mission. We're scared to share our faith. We're not a bold witness. We got friends around us that are dying and going to hell. They don't have a relationship with Jesus and we're scared to death. We're afraid to step out there. We're afraid of rejection, persecution, suffering. I don't know what to say, what questions they're gonna ask. And so many of us, we live a paralyzed Christian life. Paul is in prison and he's going, you can kill me. You can let me live. It doesn't matter. I'm preaching Jesus. But we don't live like that. But we can. So this, listen, when you, when you, get, when you understand the, the, the prayer of the church with the presence of the Holy Spirit, it produces two things in your life. I'll write these down if you're taking notes. Number one is this. It gives you an unwavering confidence. It gives you an unwavering confidence. I mean, Paul, it's, it's not like he's bulletproof, but in a way, he's bulletproof. Like harm can come to him, but in his mind, harm can't come to him. Why? Because there is an unwavering confidence. Look what he says here in verse 19 and 20. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it, it is in my e eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now that's unwavering confidence, right? Unwavering confidence. Look again, verse 19. For I know for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. This word know here is different from the word know that we studied earlier on, or rather on Easter Sunday. 
On Easter Sunday, we talked about no. We talked about the gnosko kind of no, where you know him intimately. This is a different type of no. Paul is saying, for I know, it's a phrase of, it's a, it's a word meaning, I am confident and I'm certain as a person can be confident and certain. Like, I know beyond a doubt. I am convinced in every way. There is a bedrock of certainty that I'm standing on. That's what that word means. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He doesn't say, I think, I hope, I might, it could. No, I know, I know I'm not gonna flinch. I know I'm gonna have joy. I know I'm gonna make it. I know it's gonna turn out for my deliverance. I know that. That's an unwavering confidence that can only come through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Say, what do you mean? Sounds like things are gonna get better for Paul. Listen to this. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And this word deliverance here is a a Greek word where we get the word salvation. So other places in your Bible, you'll see the word salvation. Oftentimes, it's the same word that's translated deliverance. So it could be stated like this. This will turn out for my salvation. Paul's confidence, listen to this, Paul's confidence wasn't that he was getting out of prison. Paul's confidence was, no matter what happens, I'll still be delivered. Paul's confidence was this, I could die in prison, but I'll still be saved. They could let me free, and I could be delivered physically, and that doesn't really matter, because ultimately, my salvation is eternal. So Paul was living with an unwavering confidence that God was in control and that there was nothing that could touch him, that there was nothing that could interfere with what was already his in Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul, put me to death. Guess what? I'll still be delivered. Leave me in here to die. I'll still be delivered. Let me go. I'll still be delivered. His circumstances did not determine his confidence in the finished work of Jesus. And there are so many of us that we're living with hope that maybe God will change our circumstances and our confidence isn't in in what is ours regardless of whether our circumstances change. Our hope and our confidence is God doing what I hope he does and make my life easier. But listen, if you live with that kind of confidence, it will be a wavering confidence. But if you come to the realization through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that there's nothing this world can do to touch me, that ultimately I will be delivered, that I will experience salvation, listen, you become a person that is bold in your faith because your confidence is not in your circumstances changing, but in the the never-changing presence of God in your life and what Christ has given to you in him. This is so important. Go back to verse 20 again, verse 19 rather again. For I know. See, later on, Paul is gonna talk about, man, I don't know if I'm gonna live, I don't know if I'm gonna die. My circumstances may never change. Jesus is still in control. And Jesus is good. And because he's in control and because he's good, I can rejoice because I know this is not the end for me. Eyes right here for a second. Church, I, I think we've got to come to the realization that the, that the sovereignty of God, which means God is in control of everything, even our bad circumstances, The sovereignty of God and the goodness of God are the greatest attributes that we could hold on to in times of suffering. God is in control means that there's nothing that's happening in my life that's outside the bounds of what is underneath his care. The fact that God is good, it means that even in the suffering, I can trust that there's something good that's gonna come from it. In fact, I wonder if Paul might have been thinking when he's writing this, letter to the Philippians, if, and then we got to this verse, if he was thinking about five years earlier, Paul wrote another passage to the church in Rome. It's found in Romans chapter eight, verse 28, and this is what Paul wrote. He says, For, and we know, this word know is the same Greek word that we find in Philippians chapter one. And we know, certainty, that for those who love God, all things, everybody say all things. Didn't say some things, didn't say good things, didn't say fair things, all things work together for what? For good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Paul is saying, I know, listen, I know that God is in control. And while my circumstances may not be good, all things will work out for my good. 
When you're obsessed with the glory of Jesus, when you're obsessed with the gospel of Jesus, here's what you recognize. That through the circumstances of life, the all things means everything. The good times and the bad times, that everything that comes into my life, I can live with confidence knowing that God is in control and that he is good. And in the end, these things that may be difficult, they will produce good. And sometimes, or all the time, the good that they produce can't be produced without the suffering that we go through. I'll illustrate it like this. Um, my, um, my oldest daughter, when she was little, uh, three or four years old, uh, she kept having these, these health issues come up. And they were small, but they were health issues nonetheless. And we had to go to the ER a few times uh, for her. And every time we'd go, they had to do these, these same kind of tests. And they were very uncomfortable for her. And, uh, you know, as a, as a father of a little girl, especially the first child, like, it was just always gut-wrenching for them to be in pain or suffering. And, um, and uh, I, we would go, and my, my, McKenna is kind of a, she's a fighter by nature. I've heard, I read somewhere that they said um, the, the, the firstborn daughter is the female version of their father. And that is so true. Uh, she's strong-willed. She's tough. And um, so I remember going one particular trip. We were there in the ER, my wife and I, and uh, we were, the doctors were having to do this little procedure and say, well, you hold her. Well, there, there was no holding her when they were coming to do these tests on her. Like she was fighting everybody, including me. And she's screaming, you know, make them stop, get them off of me. And she's just going crazy. Finally, the doctor looked at me and said, you got to step aside and let us do our job. Like she needs this test. We got to figure out what's going on here. And so three nurses, it took three nurses to hold her down. And I'll never forget, I'm standing over here and she's screaming and she's looking at me and, and Adrian and she's going, help, help, daddy, daddy, help, help. And just tears are pouring. She's screaming and I'm just standing there watching her go through this. And then there was the worst moment. The worst moment is when she kept crying, but she stopped calling for me. And she just looked at me across the room like so disappointed tears flowing, and she looked at me like, why are you letting them do this to me? I thought you would help. I thought you would protect me. And there was that moment where she was just, just looking at me like, you've failed me. And I, as a father, had to watch my little girl cry and look with this disappointment. Listen, and I had to let her go through that, because here's what I knew that she didn't. That what they were doing to her that she was so scared of and terrified, the thing that was actually bringing pain was actually going to be for her good. And that as a father, there's nothing I wanted more in that moment than to just go take her out of the hands of the nurses and doctors and hold her and say, I'm here to protect you. But as a loving father, I had to stand back and watch her go through pain because I knew the pain was going to be for her good. And that's gut-wrenching. Listen to me, there are times in life where we are on that table, where we're going through seasons and circumstances and we're calling out to God and it just seems like God is changing our situation. He's not changing our circumstances. And then there's moments where we look at God like you are failing me and God the Father is looking at you with love going, listen, I know you don't see it, but I'm doing something in your life right now and you have to go through this. Like, I love you and I'm, because I love you, you're gonna go through pain. Listen to me, sometimes there'll be circumstances in our life and we will lay on that table for the rest of our life. And God will allow those seasons and circumstances to be with us because he's producing something. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, that these suffering, these momentary afflictions that we go through for Christ on this side of eternity are preparing for us a weight of glory that can't even be compared. So the pain, listen, the pain that you go through in this life, listen, there, there is a glory coming for you that far outweighs the pain that you go through in this lifetime. This is the unwavering confidence that Paul lived with, and this is what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in your life as well. It's like watching, a, a, for us, it's like watching a football game. How many of y'all watched a football game like you recorded it and you didn't want to know the score and everybody wanted to tell you the score so you kept wanting to punch people in the face, you know what I'm talking about? And you come back and watch the game later. How many of you ever done that? Raise your hand if you've done that. So you, the game's already settled, right? You know the game's over. But you're still going through all of the emotion of what's going to happen in the unknown and how is this all going to work out. Now imagine this. Imagine you're watching the same game, but you already know the score and your team won. Now you still go through all of the feelings of the interceptions and the big plays and you're celebrating and you're like, oh, that's stunk. And you're going through all the emotion of the up, ebb and flow of the game, but you do so differently. Why? Because you know at the end the score is going to work out. 
Paul is saying, listen, I know no matter what happens, I, I know what's going to happen. This, I already seen the score. And we're going to be victorious. So I'm going to go through the seasons of suffering right now with my eyes on the scoreboard. I'm going to go through the discomfort right now knowing at the end of the day there is going to be deliverance for me. Amen? Here's the second thing. i got to hurry. The second thing that the Spirit produces in our life is an unashamed courage. Is an unashamed courage. Look what he says in verse 20. Verse 20, he says, as it is my eager expectation and hope, listen to this, that I will not be at all ashamed, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that I will with full courage, I may say courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. He says, because of the prayer of the people, the church, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, here's what I know, that I will not be ashamed. So when the moment comes for me to stand before Caesar, for me to stand before the Roman guard, for me to stand before my executioner, for me to stand before the people and preach, no matter the circumstance, I know that whatever is in front of me, I'm going to stand there with full confidence and full courage, and I'm going to not be ashamed of Jesus, and I'm going to proclaim Christ whether I live or whether I die. Now, that is courage that can only come from the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying, look, I, I know that there are going to be difficult days ahead of me, but I am confident in this, is that I will stand with courage on that day and that Jesus will deliver me, that he will give me the strength that I need on that day to say what I need to say, be the witness that I need to be, be to, to be confident in who he is, to be courageous for his glory. And that when all is said and done, I will not be ashamed. See, so many of us, we live our life and our passivity, eyes right here just for a second. Can I tell you what your passivity is when you're afraid to tell your friends about Jesus? When, when you know God is calling you to engage a conversation with gospel truth, and you're like, no, 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 I'm scared, I'm afraid, I don't want to step into that situation. Listen, in that moment, you're actually being ashamed of Jesus. And you're letting your fear of man be more important than your fear of God. And we have got to love the world enough and we've got to love Jesus enough that through the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit that we stand when God calls us to speak and to say and to act and to do and to be in this culture what this culture needs that we would have men and women of courage full of the Holy Spirit that would say, it might cost me everything. It might cost me my discomfort. It might cost me my job. It might cost me my friendship. It might be cost me my health because of persecution. But I will stand courageously in the power of the Holy Spirit and I will not be ashamed of Jesus whether I live or whether I die. Can I tell you, this is, what, this is what this world needs. They need fearless men and women who live with an audacious faith, who will open their mouth when the Holy Spirit says to and will not let their fear of the unknown keep them from being obedient in the known. That's what we need. We need warriors to rise up in the name of Jesus, full of the power of the Holy Spirit and the confidence of the Lord who will be a bold witness for him, not in a way that... Um, uh, th that causes controversy in the world because we're trying to be uh, just, uh, you know, uh, criticizing the world or mean-spirited the world, but a, a bold faith that says to the world, I love you too much not to tell you the truth. And I know me loving you and telling you the truth may cost me, but I'm gonna have courage and I'm gonna stand up and I'm gonna share with you what you need to hear even though you don't wanna hear it because at the end of the day, you need to know that there's a God that loves you and that Jesus came to save you and he's the only hope for you and he's changed me and he can change you and I'm not gonna put a muzzle over my mouth. I'm gonna speak up and I'm gonna speak out and I'm gonna share with confidence regardless of what happens to me. We need more believers like this in this world. Men and women with unwavering, bold confidence. See, what does this look like? There was a letter written years ago. Some of you have heard this, I know. But there was a letter written years earlier, years ago by what was believed to be a gentleman who went as a missionary to Zimbabwe who ended up dying as a martyr. And this letter is famously known as the Martyr's Letter. And this was written and penned by believe the story tells us, believed to be a man who lost his life for the sake of the gospel. I want you to listen to this man's letter, and I want you to hear the words of the Apostle Paul and 
what is available to us in Christ. And I believe this is the power that this man was walking in. Listen to what he says. He says, I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My presence makes sense. My future is secure. I am finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I am no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, applause, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience. I am lifted up by prayer. I labor by power. My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, and negotiate at the table of the enemy, pander at the pull of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go until he comes, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he stops and when he comes for his own he'll have no problem recognizing me my banner will be clear this is the type of disciple that the holy spirit will produce men and women of courage and here's what we're going to do this morning we're going to take some steps of courage today we're going to do this in two ways the first is for those of you who need to either trust jesus as your lord and savior that you know in your heart you've never trusted him as your lord and savior and there has been this calling in your life that you need to surrender everything to Jesus and once and for all, trust him. And you've been afraid to. You've been afraid because people think you're a Christian. Are you afraid to because you're afraid of, of losing control of your life? Or what does it look like for him to transform me? I want you to know this, this morning, listen, the Holy Spirit wants to give you confidence in Jesus and he wants to give you courage from the Holy Spirit to put away those fears and, and recognize that what you're afraid of is what you need the most. You need to surrender your life to Christ. He loves you, he died to remove your sin. He resurrected so that you can have brand new life and life is found only in him. Others of you, you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you've never been baptized. You've been too scared, like maybe the last couple of weeks, last couple of months, You've trusted Jesus and you haven't told anybody or maybe you, somebody knows, but you, you've never taken that step. You're like, I'm intimidated by big crowds. Or man, I don't know what people are gonna think if, if, I, if I, you know, let everybody know that I hadn't been a Christian. Here's what I want you to know. Listen, the Holy Spirit wants to give you courage. The first step of courage for a Christian is to be baptized. Baptism is a declaration that I belong to Jesus and I'm not ashamed of it. That's what it means. So how will you ever stand courageously in the world if you can't stand courageously in here and say, I'm ashamed of Jesus, that I'm unashamed of what he's done in my life? And so this first response is for those of you who need to be saved and baptized, and then, or for those of you who need to be baptized. So just say yes to Jesus. And so here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna make this very simple. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads. This is gonna take gospel courage. When we prayed this morning, we've been praying all morning long that God would give you courage. So for those of you in this room who need to be saved you know that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Just like we heard Kenny's story earlier. Today's the day to stop running. If that is where you are, you can pray a simple prayer. These, these, these words that I'm gonna give you are just ways of me helping you articulate what God is doing in your heart right now. But if you wanna trust Jesus, I want you to say something to him like this, just with no one looking around. God, I am a sinner and I need Jesus to save me. I believe he died for my sin and I believe he's alive again and I want him to be the king of my life. Transform me for the inside out. I submit all I am to you in Jesus' name. So here's the invitation. For those of you who just prayed that prayer to receive Christ or for those of you who have prayed that prayer or you've given your life to Jesus but you've never been baptized after that. It's time to stop playing games. It's time to stand courageously. 
And here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna count to three. And when I count to three, those of you who just prayed that prayer with me or those of you who know you need to be baptized, you've never been baptized since you've been saved and you need to be, and you're saying yes today to that. I'm gonna ask you, when I count to three, when I say three, I'm gonna ask you to stand. I want you to stand courageously. This is an opportunity to be a bold witness for Christ. It's not gonna be easy, but the Spirit of God will give you the courage. So just stand up when it's time. One, two, three. If you pray to receive Christ, just a moment ago, stand to your feet. If you need to be baptized this morning, stand to your feet. Right now, where you are, stand to your feet. Praise Jesus. Takes a lot of courage. Is there anybody else? Say, I just prayed to receive Jesus with you a moment ago. Or I know I need to be baptized. I've given my life to Jesus. Right now, just stand where you are. Just make sure you understand. Just keep standing. Thank you. I see you in the back. For those standing, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and slip out of your seat, and there's going to be some decision encouragers that are going to meet you halfway. Just go ahead and slip out. Grab a friend, a family member. If you're alone, you can grab their hand and come out with them and come out with you. Those who are, are, are came today to be baptized, you already knew you were going to be baptized, go ahead and stand and make your way out to one of the decision encouragers as well. Anyone else that needs to stand? There's several that have come that are coming. Anyone else? We're going to give opportunity. So proud of you. So proud of the decisions you're making. Church family, we get your eyes right here. Let's just put our hands together and celebrate life change this morning. Go ahead and slip out if you would. Our decision encouragers are going to walk with you. And I want your eyes right here just for a second as they make their way out. Hey, listen to me. I told you there's going to be two ways. That was the first. Here's the second. There are some of you in this room, God has placed people in your life, and you know they are not believers. And God has been burdening you with the need to share the gospel with them, for them to come to faith in Christ. And you've been too fearful to do it. Maybe it's fear because I don't know the answers to all the questions, and I don't know what to say, or I'm afraid they're going to reject me, or what are they going to think? I don't want to judge. All of those things. It doesn't matter what the fear is. Fear is fear. What we need is confidence that is unwavering and courage that is unashamed. That's what we need. Amen? That is found in the presence of the Holy Spirit in the prayer of the church. Some of you... You don't share your faith at all. You've never shared your faith because you're, you're afraid. You're scared, and it's okay to be scared. In fact, if, if, you, if you have a burden for someone right now and that you know you need to share your faith, but you haven't because you're scared, or you just don't share your faith at all because you're, you're kind of scared to do that, just raise your hand in the room. Raise your hand in the room. Look around. There's people everywhere, everywhere raising their hand. Here's what we're gonna do. For those of you who feel that way, we're gonna do something this morning that we've done all morning long. I'm gonna invite those of you who just raised your hand or any others who wanted to raise their hand, if there is someone in your life that you know, God is telling me to share Jesus and I haven't done it because I'm afraid, or I know that I need to be a bold witness and I just haven't been because of fear. Listen, I want us to pray over you and I want us to ask the Holy Spirit to give you the same courage and confidence that he gave the Apostle Paul, amen? So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna ask everybody to stand, everybody to stand. And I want you to come forward and, and come in front of me if you want prayer to be a courageous witness. If you raised your hand a moment ago and say, there's someone in my life that I need to pray for. There's someone in my life that I know I need to share, but I've been too afraid. I want you to come and stand right in front of me. Come stand right in here in front of me. Maybe you say, look, I don't have a name in mind. I just know that God is telling me I need to be more bold, and I just haven't been. And praise God. And as you're coming, I just want your eyes right here just for a second here. I'm gonna share some things with you. First of all, I wanna, I wanna just say I'm so proud of you for your courage to step out. Even this is a big step. It's accountability. It's stepping out and saying, I know God is telling me to be bold and share, and I haven't done it. And God is gonna use just this step of obedience that you've, you've taken already. I want you to know that this morning what we're gonna do is we're gonna pray. 
And I'm gonna pray, and our church is gonna join us in prayer, and we're gonna pray that the Holy Spirit would give you gospel courage to pick that phone up today, to invite that friend to dinner tonight, to stop by their house tomorrow, to sit down with them and just say, look, I, for whatever reason, God's placed you in my heart. I just wanna tell you what he did in my life, and I wanna tell you, I don't know what your story is, and I would love to hear it. And, and to see that God would just open the door up for you then and to invite them into a relationship with Jesus. I think he'll, he'll do that. We're gonna pray that, that God would give you the courage. The question is not, is the opportunity gonna be there? The question is, are you gonna be obedient to the opportunity? The Holy Spirit wants to give you courage for that. A couple of things with that. You're not in control of their response. All that matters is that Christ is honored in you. The outcome is up to him. You can't control what they do with the gospel. All you can control is what you do with the gospel, and that is to share it. And then whatever their response is, the Holy Spirit is gonna help you know how you respond to their response. Nod your head if you're with me. I also wanna encourage you not to try to rehearse what you're gonna say. Jesus actually tells the disciples, hey, don't, don't try to prepare a speech when that time comes because the Holy Spirit is gonna give you the words you need when you need them. It doesn't mean you don't think about your story and you don't think about your approach. I'm saying this is don't go in rehearsed. What we need more than rehearsed words, we need revealed words. The Holy Spirit knows what they need to hear. And he will tell you what to tell them. And he'll even go beyond your words to do with his words what you can't do with yours. So with those thoughts in mind, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads. Those of you who are standing around, I want you to extend your hand toward these. And as I pray aloud, you're gonna pray for them. And we're gonna pray that the Holy Spirit would give you courage and boldness. Listen, to pick up the phone today, to make the call tonight, to go make that visit this week and to have that conversation. Father, we are asking now in the name of Jesus for you to give courage where courage is needed. God, the scripture tells us through the prayers of the church and through the presence of the Holy Spirit, there is confidence and there is courage. And Lord, we're asking for that. God, I'm praying right now as we pray, whatever names are on the hearts and minds of every person standing, I pray that you will go right now ahead of us. You will till the soil. You will cultivate the heart so that the seed of the gospel might produce fruit that remains, God. But in the end of the day, Lord, let us be content with being obedient and listening and, and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for gospel testimonies, not just of salvations, but of just obedience of your people being bold in their faith. God, I pray that there, in those moments, there, there's gonna be fear and there's gonna be trembling, but Lord, you're gonna give by the presence of your Holy Spirit the ability to step into the fear. And what's gonna be on the other side of that is courage. And God, I thank you in advance for the way that you're gonna embolden their faith as they share their faith with someone else. Lord, I ask for a filling of the Holy Spirit for every single believer standing in front of me. Fill them with your presence, fill them with your spirit. Pour out yourself upon them. God, let your spirit be fresh in their life. Lord, let them not sleep until they have these conversations. And Lord, as they talk, I pray that it'll almost be like they're listening to themselves, not knowing because they know you're in control of their speech. God, we pray this and we believe you will do it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen.